Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Citizen Bitcoin Podcast. We are dedicated to being sovereign citizens of Bitcoin. We're here sharing our journey learning Bitcoin, hoping it makes yours a bit easier. I'm Brady, and this week I have for you another reading episode. I am going to be reading a Twitter thread by Eric Wall. That's at ERCWL on Twitter. And I'm going to read his thread uh, that has been posted to serve as a reminder for when the idiocy returns. And of course, he's referring to the idiocy of shitcoins and ICOs. And then after I'm done reading the thread, I've got a special guest, the host of the Crypto Economy podcast, one of my favorite podcasts. I know I've mentioned it here on the show before. If you don't subscribe already, go subscribe to the Crypto Economy podcast. He is reading some of the best Bitcoin content and providing great commentary uh, every weekday. There's a new episode, so it's uh, pretty awesome. Check that out. And without further ado, here is a reminder for when the idiocy returns, a thread on Twitter by Eric Wall. Plenty of coins and ICOs are now down 90% or more. Hopefully, the people who will never be receptive to the following commentary have left crypto Twitter by now, but they'll surely be back for the next bull run, making this thread to use as a reminder for when the idiocy returns. If you never fully grasped how the ICO market worked, here's a recap of how things typically went down. This is also best case. It's not too uncommon that ICO creators decide they want to do an ICO first and realize they need to build a blockchain or dApp after. And here's a graphic that shows a list of how to go about uh, performing an ICO 2017 style. One. Some dude or dudes want to build a blockchain or dApp, but have no idea how to build either. Two, decide to get funding via an ICO. Three, realize they need funding to get the ICO itself started. Uh, Quote, by the way, guys, does anyone know how to make smart contract on Ethereum? Four, they decide to do a private sale to fund the ICO. Five, the private sale is generally heavily discounted, like by 50%. Six, VCs and wealthy individuals buy tokens in the private sale to sell it the moment it hits exchanges or even earlier. 7. Nevertheless, the team leverages the big names that bought in the private sale to hype up the ICO. 8. With the money from the private sale, they can now afford to pay someone to help them with the website, wallets, marketing, and blockchain development. 9. Use the spare change to throw in Vinny Lingam as an advisor. Very important step. Number 10, time for the pre-ICO, which is another discounted stage to build up even more momentum. People who buy into the pre-ICO will help market uh, market the public ICO. 11, pay designers for Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Reddit ads, etc. Multiple languages, uh, white paper for white paper rewrites, etc. 12, time for the public ICO. 13, retail users, quote, you looked at this ICO yet? I just put in a few grand. I mean, the website, white paper, and advisors looked really good, but I'm not sure I understand what they're going to build. End graphic. This also misses dozens of smaller things, which helped make things way worse. The two biggest mistakes that people did in this market are the following. One, mistaking money raised and token price increases as indicators of success. And two, thinking that DYOR, or do your own research, means watching YouTube videos. On one. 
Nothing that has materialized from 2017 ICOs can be deemed a success. It's way too soon to tell. The only thing that a 100x gain has ever meant in the ICO market is that there once was a person who got a 100 times shittier deal than another person due to market demand. Your friend who is, quote, totally into crypto, who told you to buy a coin and then the price went up 20x, doesn't necessarily understand anything. If your friend wasn't a genius before they entered the crypto markets, they're probably not a genius all of a sudden now either. On two, DYOR, or do your own research, never meant go to YouTube and watch whatever video comes up on the coin you are researching. The O means you actually have to do your own research. Why? Because so many YouTubers are paid shitcoin advertisers. If the content is free, you are the product. And here is a screenshot from a, uh, a direct message, a chat from, of some kind. Hello, I manage an ICO marketing promotion service. We market to a large group of coin enthusiasts. I can help promote your ICO through my YouTube channel with over 70,000 subscribers, and you will get potential investors that will invest in your ICO. Do you have an interest in this offer? End graphic. This is a large industry now, and unless you DYOR, you are the bottom feeder. You're the person who is paying for all of this, all the ghostwritten white papers, marketing, paid YouTube shills, paid exchange listings, Vinnie Lingham's advisory fees, and social media ads, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And here are two more screenshots uh, of ICO people trying to uh, raise money or get somebody to help them shill their ICO. End graphic. But I follow person X and I trust him. Well, at CryptoGat was trusted and still engaged in pump and dump schemes, scamming his followers. He still has 70,000 followers and is still out there shilling crap, even though he was exposed for it. Twitter forgets. And here is a screenshot uh, that shows CryptoGat uh, saying that he's in on some uh, ICO scheme, pump and dump scheme. End graphic. If you DYOR, you will be immune to all this nonsense. So let's begin. If we are talking long-term investments, the key thing you need to grasp is the role a token plays in the thing being built. While most say that we're entering into uncharted territory here, that's not actually true. Beyond common sense, we do have a few early historical examples of ICOs, which we can begin with. One, the MasterCoin ICO in 2013, two, the Ethereum ICO in 2014, and three, the Mycelium ICO in 2016. So first, the MasterCoin ICO. So in 2013, this guy, J.R. Willett, goes to the Bitcoin talk forum, and he says that he has this day idea for a supplementary protocol to Bitcoin. He described a protocol that would leverage the Bitcoin blockchain, but would add more features to it. Basically, the protocol would add the ability to create custom tokens on top of the Bitcoin blockchain, a DEX or decentralized exchange, and a few other things. To fund this development, he kindly asked for some donations in BTC. And here's a screenshot of a BitcoinTalk.org forum post uh, in which Mr. Willett uh, announces MasterCoin and asks for some donations. End graphic. To spice things up for the investors, he promised that features inside the MasterCoin protocol would only be accessible to those with MasterCoins. By doing so, Willett had invented not only the ICO, but the first utility token as well. And here is a screenshot from um, archive.org that talks about where does MasterCoin derive its value from and why is it valuable. And 
shows the first outline uh, describing the nature of utility token and graphic. So what happened to MasterCoin protocol? Was it successful? Yes, in fact, it was extremely successful. Today, it is known as OmniLayer and is the protocol used for the Tether token or USDT, which is the most traded crypto token after BTC or Bitcoin itself. However, despite the ambitious plans, the actual master coins or the MSC token themselves never found an actual usage within the protocol. It turns out requiring users to hold tokens in order to access basic features is bad UX or user experience. It's horribly inefficient and unnecessarily complex. After the rebrand to Omni, these coins still exist out there today under the ticker Omni, O-M-N-I, with no purpose and no plan. Fun fact, even an old deprecated shitcoin like Omni pumped in the 2017 mania from $4 to $123. Now it rests at $7. Jesus, people did some dumb as hell things. So what can we learn here? Well, the short story is that not only can a token have such a poor excuse for existing other than fundraising, it can actually be so inefficient that it needs to be removed altogether for the product to succeed. And yet, it's tokens you're buying. Willett was a pioneer and never knew that this was how things would turn out. In fact, Willett was super transparent and actually listed all the risks he could come to think of as a warning when announcing MasterCoin, a mind-boggling contrast to the practices of today's ICOs. And here's a screenshot of a partial list, list of risks uh, should you consider investing in MasterCoin. And it just starts out uh, saying, you should be aware that investing in currency experiments is really absurdly risky. There are a huge number of things that could go wrong. I'll list a few of them here, but this is by no means all of them. And then goes on to list a long and very transparent uh, an even personal uh, list of potential risks, and he is not holding back at all. End graphic. If you still don't understand why tokens that merely exist to constrain an app's usage are harmful and probably won't accrue value, think in terms of liquidity, friction, and the velocity problem. And here is a graphic that is a screenshot from a Coindesk article titled The Blockchain Token Velocity Problem, and it pulls out some text that describes the velocity problem. Velocity is one of the key levers that will influence long-term non-speculative value. Most utility tokens don't provide a compelling reason for token holders to hold the token for more than a few seconds. Absent speculation, assets with high velocity will struggle to maintain long-term price appreciation. Hence, protocol designers will be well-served to incorporate mechanisms into their protocols that encourage holding, not just usage. End graphic. The Ethereum ICO. Evidently, certain ICOs, such as the 2014 ICO of Ethereum itself, can be successful. ETH, or ETH, the token is used today. So what distinguishes a successful coin from a useless one? In one word, irreducibility. Ethereum wouldn't really have any way to function without Ether. None of this has ever been new or controversial information to the people who are already in this space when everyone started shilling and buying utility tokens. And yes, for the record, Bitcoiners tried to warn the industry countless of times last year. And here is a tweet quoted from, by Peter Todd from October 3rd, 2017, as an example of those countless warnings. Peter Todd writes, I think utility tokens will lead to a far 
far more investor harm than illegal securities will. Utility tokens almost never make technical sense. End graphic. One of the most idiotic things newcomers did of 2017 was to reject all cautionary recommendations from Bitcoiners as, quote, Bitcoin maximalism. That's just Bitcoin maximalism. Like, how can you be so damn ignorant to believe that the reason Peter Todd would say something negative about another coin other than Bitcoin because he's a BTC bag holder? Let's work through that logic for a second. If Peter Todd found a true use for the shitcoins you invest in, what do you think Peter Todd would do? And here Eric provides a Twitter poll, and the two options are Peter Todd would invest in it before you or spread FUD on Twitter. 79% chose that Peter Todd would invest in it before you if he knew something uh, good or a true use for the shitcoins that people are investing in, which makes logical sense. End graphic. By the way, this is Peter Todd in 2001, 15 years old at the time, discussing essentially Bitcoin with how many years before its time. What do you think guys like at CryptoGat were doing when they were 15? If you, for some reason, felt like you had to trust someone, why someone like CryptoGat? And here is a screenshot from, uh, wow, an old email from March 10th of 2001, uh, Peter Todd from Peter Todd to... Uh, how Finney, um, and they're discussing hash cash and Bitcoin ideas. Uh, the highlighted portion reads, personally, I like the idea of hash cash if and only if it's structured like a real currency and is opposed to simply proof of work. In the real world, you pay for resources used. In many cases, this should also apply to P2P and other computer systems. Of course, getting Hashcash workable as a real currency is extremely difficult. I've thought of a scheme that would work. Coins are signed by owner and can only be changed or signed to a different owner by owner. Except you need a decentralized or central, you need a decentralized, quote, central database of all the Hashcash that's being minted. Unworkable. Uh, And then it's, you know, some random characters as a replacement for the F word, I presume. Uh, F the spend twice problem. Uh, Frowny face. End graphic. To wrap this up, if you asked me to list the number of non-base layer tokens that do have some utility that makes sense and doesn't suck for all the reasons I just mentioned off the top of my head, I could probably count them on one hand. Rep, which is Augur, uh, GNO or No, which is Gnosis, MKR or Maker, MakerCoin, and FCT, Factum. That's it. Does that mean that most non-base layer tokens suck? Yes, that's exactly what it means. Let's now dig into the third and last category for this thread, the Mycelium ICO. In 2016, Mycelium had for a long time been people's wallet of choice on Android. The ICO represented a way for people to gain exposure to their success as a business, as a regular retail investor without owning actual shares. So what happened? Well, this. As it turns out, the best way to have exposure to a business is owning actual shares not some piece of legal engineering made in Cyprus. And while we may get there with STOs or security token offerings, we're not really there yet. And here he's referring to, when he says, well, this referring to an article that's quoted here um, that's titled Mycelium Employee Quits After ICO Funds Used for Vacation. And uh, it's links to an article uh, that quotes Daniel Krawitz uh, as having quit Mycelium because the funds were used to take the development team 
to Spain or something like that. In summary, if crypto was a party, you showed up at 1.30 in the morning, drank all the punch, kicked the host in the nuts, and spent the rest of the night flirting with the family's underage daughter. Now at 6.45 in the morning, you're throwing up in the laundry bin and complaining that nobody likes you. got with me guy the host of the crypto economy podcast uh favorite of mine uh joining me to do a little joint commentary on this thread welcome to the show what is up good to be so, here man so good to have you here man i really appreciate it yeah. uh yeah so we started talking because i have just am a big fan of your podcast really appreciate the quality content uh and and the fact that it comes out every weekday is just awesome uh, i've learned a lot from both you know what you decide to read and also your commentary on it uh and so i started uh kind of filling in some weeks where uh, i don't have time for a chat with tommy um filling in uh on the on the citizen bitcoin podcast reading some some pieces and i asked you if it was cool if i did that uh you know kind of took your uh your um, kind of your thing uh, with reading and commenting on the best Bitcoin content and, yeah. and ran with it. And you were really cool and gracious about, about letting me do that. And, and uh, we Join started talking some more. Club. Yeah, that's right. Read all the crypto <laughs> things. Um, so anyway, thanks for uh, joining and, and talking about this. And, and I look forward to doing more work with you in the future too. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Yeah. So this is a, a great thread, I think at a great time in Bitcoin because, you know, we've kind of seen the separation between Bitcoin and altcoins on the price over the past few we- uh, few months. And uh, well, really in the past few weeks, it really was dramatic. Uh, and, and the case for why Bitcoin is fundamentally different and the case, the kind of Bitcoin maximalist uh, thesis is, you know, just kind of being proven over time as, as this thing evolves. Uh, mm-hmm. And so this is sort of a great reminder from Eric Wall um, for when this com- the next wave comes back because I, I feel like we are yeah. going to have another couple of waves at least right yeah and I think I think the I think it will come back with everything that he describes as the idiocy and ICO explosion of I mean I hope I mean there there is a there's definitely this feeling of kind of the understanding of Bitcoin maximalism and kind of that that perception that I think is spreading. Um, It's hitting a lot of people that I think were on the fence or skeptical about it um, in the past and are kind of seeing it in a new light. Um, And I think uh, the Bitcoin standard actually by Sefadine is a big part of that. Um, Yes. A ton of people have said after reading that they have really had to stop and think about all these ICOs and utility tokens and what it is they're actually trying to go for in the market. Um, Yeah. Is there really going to be a lot of different kinds of money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it just, I, I, it seems that it's pretty clear. I think the technical foundation or basis is the idea that, you know, network protocols tend toward one, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. the 
the protocol with the most activity on it is the most valuable and so it tends to continue to win and eventually there's one that dominates same thing happened with the comparison is often made between tcp ip and, and bitcoin and lightning network in that regard and then you know safedine came out with his book and really laid out the economic case that money tends toward one as well especially market chosen money um, as opposed to like government uh, enforced money yeah so arguably the the network effect of money is even greater um, right uh, it's it's kind of uh, doubly incentivized in the relation to like a you know a social network or communication protocol um, but has you know a lot of the same pieces it's just money is a far more powerful network effect so much so that silver even went out of circulation once paper gold came on the um, came into the economy to actually get around the mobility of gold, the problem right. of uh, the lack of mobility. Right. Yeah. So it, I guess with those two forces kind of pushing it along um, the, the, as the basis for Bitcoin maximalism, uh, it just it, it seems that that's going to be the case in the long term. Um, mm-hmm. But the idiocy is not over, I think, is is what uh, Eric is assuming. And, and what do you think? I mean, in the next few years as they play out in this, you know, this idea of Bitcoin maximalism will continue to spread, but uh, also the idea of utility tokens is not completely gone yet. Um, the whole idea mm-hmm. of security tokens is still being batted around and maybe there'll be some value there, but will it be on top of Bitcoin or will it be something else? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, wish I knew a really good answer, but um, honestly, I think, I think the idiocy will come back. Yes. Um, I think there will be a lot of ICOs and new tokens specifically because there is just tons of ignorance that has yet to learn those lessons in this market that are still out there. And I think there is still a many, many year gap to properly educate and like get the information out there and have those historical lessons so that people realize that just by default, that's the assumption is, well, your ICO is right. worthless or, you know, it doesn't have any of the elements needed. There needs to be a standard of some sort. And right. I think and it's then be a long time before that's that there's some kind of burden of proof that's obviously that's much higher to meet <laughs> for an ICO. So yeah. there's yeah. like this basic there's a there's a basic, uh, you know, skepticism that needs to be established. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It, well, so the sixth tweet in, in the thread um, I think is kind of perfect for, for to really bring that point together is it says DYOR never meant to go to YouTube and watch whatever video comes up on the coin you're quote researching. The O means that you actually have to do your own research. Why? Because so many YouTubers are paid shitcoin advertisers. <laughs> if the content is free, you are the product. Um, yeah. And I thought that was great um, as far as Bitcoin education goes, because I think it really illustrates how important it is that we need to establish for-profit sustainable world-class bitcoin education uh that's you know affordable as well i think i would throw in there too and accessible but it needs to be there needs to be revenue that's generated so that you can sustain high quality education uh content or service um for the bitcoin community and i think there'll be many of those services i think i think bitcoin education will be an entire industry um, and it'll happen on the retail, you know, you'll have to educate, uh, retail investors or just like, you know, people who want to use it to, as an every, their everyday currency, uh, lightning network is a checking account and the main chain is a savings account, but also all of the stuff that's going to happen with, 
corporations and the global economy and, and all of that, all of those, there's going to be a lot of education at that level as well. So yeah. I think the demand for it is going to be huge. Um, and the need is for it is going to be absolutely essential if we're going to literally rebuild our economy on Bitcoin, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And particularly with the whole YouTube social media thing, the, the number of shills is unbelievable. Oh um, yeah. I mean, there are whole counts accounts that have 50 or 60,000 followers that, you know, I mean, they just, they bounce from one coin to the next. Oh yeah. I just can't imagine how much they're getting paid. Like that is their job. Right. And, oh yeah. And you can't trust it on any platform. It's all over Reddit. It's all over Twitter. It's all right. over YouTube. It is literally everywhere. And it's because there is so much money to be made in an ICO with decent marketing. And you don't have to have anything else. Right, the, the exactly. white paper doesn't matter. I mean, what was it? The, was it the Tron white paper that was plagiarized? Yeah. Like B- essentially, it, it came out. 85% of it was plagiarized? <laughs> yeah, And it didn't yeah. matter. It didn't oh, matter. They I, had I a think Tron got, ICO. Oh, my God. It was insane. I think it got up to like the fifth largest market cap or something for yeah, a, yeah, a, it was ridiculous. the peak of the insanity. And there's just nothing there, just the white paper, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I came in to Bitcoin, like, you know, I went down the proverbial rabbit hole, which I think mm-hmm. is, is a perfect metaphor for the whole experience. And that's why people keep using it. But I, I think <laughs> I went, I went down the rabbit hole in, in May of last year or so, um, after Bitcoin had, had broken its all time high again. And I, I sort of had this, um, kind of marker in the back of my brain that I set because I had heard about Bitcoin before, but I was like, all right, well, I'll check in on it again. If it ever goes back over a thousand dollars, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of got my attention. I was looking at it for a while and, and then, you know, it slowly takes more and more of your attention <laughs> as you, yeah. as you well know. Yeah. Um, but, but I, my experience with the whole ICO thing is, I mean, it was, it was just really gearing up and it was, you know, uh, Ethereum of course was going completely nuts, um, relative to Bitcoin even. And, um, so, you know, I, I dove into Ethereum and watched all the Vitalik stuff on YouTube and, you know, uh, like, and I, I'm a technical person. So, uh, I, you know, watched some of the, the technical stuff and really was trying to understand all of that. But even, even that stuff is, is so, even for someone who's relatively technical protocol engineering is completely different than web developments, you know, and, uh, so it, it, anyway, all to say that it's, there's just so much out there and so confusing. And then you go down, you know, there's a thousand other coins and, um, it, really learning how to build those filters on who to trust and what is real and what is not is, is really difficult. Um, the, the whole stuff with Reddit and our BTC and our, slash Bitcoin was super confusing. And then of course the scaling debate. Um, and it's, it's just, a extremely confusing for someone new coming in um, t- the EDC is confusing and it's, yeah. uh, it, it's a, it's something that you can easily get trapped in, even if you're trying, uh, in earnest and giving, you know, giving your best shot to not get scammed, right. <laughs> and to figure out yeah. what's actually going on. And not only is it confusing just on its face, but it drowns out sensible discussion. Um, like right. during the hypes, you can't find anything reasonable. It's just, the yep. you you search something specific and you get 49 idiotic responses or or search results and then you get one that doesn't stand out in the least but is the only thing that's sensible or reasonable in the whole list you know? <laughs> yeah exactly um, 
Yeah, I know. I, I know that you've been into Bitcoin longer than me, and so mm-hmm. you kind of came into this. Probably have a longer a longer perspective on the ICO stuff. What was your experience with ICOs, and like you know, kind of how did you when you heard them being shilled? Um, what was your your reaction to them? Yeah, I had. Um, it's funny because uh, altcoins hit for me before. I, before ICOs, like I, uh, sure. I first got into, when I first got into Bitcoin, there was nothing there. Um, like the client software and like everything was so, um, I mean, it was, uh, I had to, I had to take physical, I had to take actual cash to the bank and deposit it in a random address to get funded on this random internet service that I'd never used before as a, <laughs> It became Diwala, but there was another one that happened before Diwala. Okay. And, um, uh, and then you could transfer from that service to Mt. Gox to purchase right. on Mt. Gox. Um, yeah. And this was, this, so this was all the way back in 2011, maybe even it was early 11 or maybe late 2010. It yeah, so that's right really then, early. Like, how, yeah, how right did you uh, come across this so early? Were you in like internet technology or Austrian economics? It was Austrian economics. Um, yeah. I mean, I was okay. always a tech, you know, I was just a nerd um, since forever. So I, I went in those circles and I was really big into peer-to-peer, uh, peer-to-peer file sharing and stuff. Like I just thought that was such an interesting technology. Mm-hmm. And, but it was specifically um, some Austrian econ friends of my brothers, actually, that... Um, uh, while they were talking about money and central banks and all this stuff. And we would debate all the time cause he was an economics major. Yeah. And, uh, we would debate about monetary theory and all this stuff. God, we were just the biggest. <laughs> nerd. Um, That's th- and, that sounds uh, like fun to me though. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then he, right when we were kind of hitting Austrian economics and like digging into Rothbard and Hayek, I think I read Thomas Sowell's or Thomas Sowell's book, um, mm-hmm. really early on there. Um, suddenly, suddenly Bitcoin was just a thing. One of his friends was like, man, you got to check out this Bitcoin thing. You'd probably be fascinated by it. Right. And that was it. That was it. He, he, he told me about it that afternoon and we stayed up all night. We went, yeah. we went 12 hours hard just reading. We, I read the whole white paper that first day. Yeah. Um, and I just, I just went like, I didn't, I didn't stroll down the rabbit hole. I just, yeah. <laughs> Head first down tumbling down. Dark. So, <laughs> Um, yeah, I I, I kind of did the same thing. Yeah, it was it was it was a fun, uh, fun time for sure. Yeah, uh, and it just it was st- still falling technically. I I don't know maybe some maybe we're wandering through Wonderland at this point or something. Like yeah. uh, Vit- Vitalik is the Mad Hatter, and now we're, I don't know we're moving on. <laughs> Go and take the <laughs> Um, all right. So yeah, th- so then you uh you bought a Mount Gox. Uh, Austrian economics got you in. Um. And then the altcoins started coming out. So there were uh, like what Litecoin, Dogecoin, were some of the uh, Namecoin was the first Namecoin, one that I was yeah. really interested in um, uh-huh. because on the concept of a utility token, I was like, I was fascinated by the idea of a decentralized DNS, and right. I had not really heard any alternatives to that before. That was kind of my first introduction, which to that. definitely is still something we need. <laughs> Definitely uh, still something we need. Yeah, I'm kind of yeah. I'm kind of watching Blockstack too for yeah. like maybe innovation on that front. But yep. see, that's the funny thing is that like you know we've had a couple of 
kind of like altcoinish bubble areas, but mm-hmm. it makes me wonder because these ICOs, the ICOs are like even more like like deeply, I guess you could say virtual or ephemeral, like the just disconnected from everything even more than the the altcoin, some of these altcoin utility tokens are. Sure. Um, because the ICOs, so many times, it was somebody, I, I wish I could remember who it was, but I was, I was back and forth really, really heavy at the beginning. Like, is this just complete crap? You know, like some of these, it was, it had been previously just been this horrible thing that if you pre-mined your coin, you were scammed. Right. End of story. Yeah. And right. Like, the, the standards were super strict in the, the Bitcoin community and stuff. It wasn't until we had those big growth cycles that people started coming in who had none of this, this basis. And you could have an ICO that pre-mined or just yep. created into thin air 60% of the tokens and put it in their own account. And well, Ripple, like, okay, Rip, Ripple, of course, this is, is cool. infamous this for is that. Fine. Yeah. yeah and that was, uh, Ripple was like 80% yeah. or something. Like, Ripple's is absolutely think- absurd. I think Stellar um, is ninety percent owned by the development team, or you know, people who. Yeah, ah, I think so. Yeah. People talk we, so much about that coin; it's ridiculous. Oh yeah, I know, I know. It's and it was you know the same guy that founded Ripple, uh, Jed Jed McCaleb, I think. Oh wow! That's uh, or funny. started Ripple, I broke off. And, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, the, but but those you know even the um, even Ethereum of course had a had a pre mine although much more modest than than some of these, but. But yeah. Um, the, so the big thing there, like that was the first thing that stood out to me is like, this looks like, this looks like crap. But a lot of the, some of the projects would say things or at least have goals that I could identify with. And I could be like, okay, well, this is interesting. Um, and, uh, but it wasn't until, and I don't know who it was. Um, it's probably a conversation on Reddit because I was mostly on Reddit back then. Now it's just all crypto Twitter lately. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, he said, and, and, some uh, mas- and some Mastodon. <laughs> yes, and Mastodon, yeah. And a little Mastodon. <laughs> um, but he had said, whoever, whoever it was had said, if the ICO, like if the protocol actually accomplishes what they are trying to do, what on mm-hmm. earth is keeping it attached to that token? Why wouldn't yeah. somebody just copy it and make it a side chain, implement it into some other protocol. Like these things are freely copy and paste. People are making forks like crazy of the yeah. exact same coin, just rebranding it and just calling it like for this other purpose, even though it's an identical copy of something else. Like, right. What possible like actual connection, like what obligation do they have to keep the token if it doesn't work for their app? Are they going to let their application die? Or exactly. their developer team die if the token doesn't help them, and who's right. going to be holding the bag? And I was like, "Damn, that's a good point." Like, and go, yeah, no- going back to the thread, um, Eric Wall's thread, mm-hmm. the first example, Mastercoin—that's the story, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I remember all about Mastercoin. Uh, yeah, I think it was J.W. Willett is the uh, guy who uh, started Mastercoin. Proposed it. He asked for some Bitcoin. Uh, as uh, to help him get started on development, uh, he was super transparent with the risks, you know, uh, very forthright, um, mm-hmm. and and all that. Uh, it just turned out that the token was useless for Mastercoin, and like Mastercoin, mm-hmm. the protocol has turned into OmniLayer, which runs Tether. So like Tether. it's being yeah. used, right? But the 
the the point that that Eric Wall made in the thread was, you know, turns out that you know a utility token is really terrible for UX. It's like inefficient. It's a it's just a hurdle that you throw in front of the user that they have to get over. And actually, you don't really need it most most of the time, right? Uh, ninety ninety nine percent of the time. So and yeah. as it turned out, like, what did anybody get from holding the Mastercoin. Yeah, so it's it's still out there. It, it rebranded as Omni. So there's actually an mm-hmm. Omni coin that you can buy, mm-hmm. uh, and apparently it pumped from four dollars to 123 bucks in in yeah. last year. You know, and now it's down to seven. So it's but it, it's literally doing nothing. Like it's doing nothing. It's just out there and people can buy it. But mm-hmm. so that's just a you know that's the idiocy. <laughs> it's still sitting yeah. out there. Yeah, and it makes me wonder, like particularly with like. A name coin's another good example is that it's one that I thought was a really like had a promising mission and right. like I thought maybe this could work. Um, but Namecoin did not really share in the hype bubble. Um right. a lot of these a lot of the older ones, save for a, a few, did not did not make the gains that all these other ICOs and Bitcoin and like they, they lagged behind everything just almost as a, uh, well, maybe I'll put some money in here too, just because it's been here a while. Um, yeah. <laughs> which, which is, which makes me wonder if the next bubble will have anything from this round from the, you know, 2017 sure. bubble actually, yeah. if they will all take that course of just lagging behind everything in the Bitcoin price and, yep basically seeing their slow death and only the new branded Bitcoin 3.0s will be the right. ones that uh, <laughs> catch the next le- the next round of ignorance. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like there were, like the old coins were lacking, you know, people who mm-hmm. were willing to shill them. They're lack- lacking a PR team <laughs> and, mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, yeah. Well, I think and already some, lost hope, maybe. Maybe know. that, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it'll it'll definitely be interesting. I do agree that I think there's going to be a couple more waves at least, um, as you know, people learn about Bitcoin. It's still super early days, um, so you know it's good to to drop this stuff and and leave a leave a milestone in time uh, on Twitter or uh, in the you know the podcast sphere, uh, so that people in the future can can grab this stuff and uh, maybe avoid uh, getting sucked in and wasting time and money on, on some of these things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Did you, uh, did you ever read uh turd of Meester's um, post? Uh, did I read it on the podcast? I don't know. I need to look into this and see if I can find it again. You definitely have read about, from him. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. So, definitely. But it was the one about the railroads like during the oh, yeah. railroad boom. Yes, that was a great piece of history. That excerpt that he posted was just like, it, when I first read that, it just screamed ICO to me. How yeah, they, would, they would invent a railroad contract for this like certain area that this railroad was going uh, to be, and then they would sell like futures, essentially. They would sell like rights to yeah. help out this railroad. It's like, you invest <laughs> in the railroad and... Uh, we'll build the railroad and it will be huge and it's going to see all this activity and all this great stuff. And they literally described in the thing and it's like, and what we can do is we can just say the contract failed, take all the money in peace. Like it was yeah. straight up exit scams. And it's just, oh, hilarious yeah. to see it, it is exactly. Yeah. It's exactly yeah. the same thing. It, it's funny uh, to see it in like 1800s language of people like literally exit <laughs> scamming and like I, ICO uh, pump and dumping people in like, 
oh, hither's thou, we will, we will steal us all of their coin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, they get, and they, they, like, take off to some, you know, like, smoky, like, uh, country club looking like environment, <laughs> like like laugh and smoke their cigars about all of these like you know people they scammed and oh yeah you're gonna see it but yeah it, you know history it do, doesn't always repeat but it, it often rhymes um, yeah and it's just, they just yeah a little different <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah maybe dress a little different or something um, yeah this was fun uh, we are going to do an episode on your feed on the crypto economy podcast, diving yep. a little bit more into uh, Bitcoin education and kind of things we've been thinking on that front. Um, what needs to be developed uh, for Bitcoin education, what a Bitcoin education industry might look like in the future. Um, mm-hmm. And so super excited about that. I think we're, sp- we're supposed to record tomorrow. So as long as all that um, happens according to plan, maybe that episode about Bitcoin education will show up on the crypto economy feed uh, on Friday or maybe early next yeah, week. That's, that's what I'm thinking right now is Friday. If not, yeah, maybe Monday or Tuesday of next week. Uh, definitely subscribe to the crypto economy podcast uh, and, and learn along with all of us there uh, and let people know about the citizen Bitcoin podcast. We really need some reviews on iTunes. Got one lonely review from me <laughs> up there. Um, and my mom doesn't know how to use iTunes, so I can't get her to do it. Uh, oh man, I'll so, up there and leave your review. Thanks man. I appreciate that. That would be awesome. Yeah, I haven't yeah, listened and, to all of your episodes, but I've uh, done like at least three or four now. Nice. Thank appreciate you. that. I don't have time to listen to any podcast anymore. It's frustrating. Oh man, you're <laughs> making them all the time. You got to put one out every day. So, <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's all we got for today. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Take care, everyone. Cool. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks.